Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. Today I'm going to be discussing the Three Kings ritual, a ritual that means something different to every person that performs it, and always leaves people feeling different after finishing it. So I'll be covering the Three Kings ritual, real accounts by those that completed it, and the concept of mirror-gazing. Now when I started researching the Three Kings ritual, the stories that surrounded it, I hadn't realized that I hadn't even shared the Three Kings ritual itself with you all. And believe it or not, it was the first real ritual story that got me into this space so many years ago. The Three Kings ritual has a strong psychological component to it, and mirror madness, as I like to call it. When I say mirror madness, I mean turning off the lights, or having low light, and staring into a mirror for roughly one minute. Do this at your own risk. I mean, it won't hurt you physically, but for others, it may sound like their worst nightmare, or at least could put a strain on your mental fortitude. I'll also be discussing a scientific article that discusses visual perception during mirror gazing with some interesting findings regarding those with depression and schizophrenia, plus their interactions with mirrors. Also, a huge thank you to the three recent patron supporters that are supporting this podcast. No joke, everyone at work, online, the people I chat to over the past three days have asked why I've been in such an overjoyous mood. I just say... My Earl Grey Enforcers. Seriously, three new Earl Grey Enforcers have joined the podcast Patreon, and I can't wait to dedicate new episodes to them. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, mates. If you would like to support the show as well, visit patreon.com forward slash sfgt. Now, let's dig in. The Three King Ritual Ingredients a very large, empty, and quiet room, preferably without windows. If windows exist, you need to be able to cover them and ensure total darkness. Basements usually work well, if they're roomy enough. A pack of candles, you'll only use one if all goes well, and a lighter. A bucket of water and a mug, a fan, two large mirrors, like the one on your dresser. Don't worry, they won't be harmed. Or if they are, it'd be the least of your concerns. Three chairs, an alarm clock, an active cell phone. Don't forget to charge the battery. A loved one willing to follow the rules and go along with all this madness. A small toy or dear object from your childhood. That's dear as in what you love most. Ritual set up. Start set up around 11pm. Place one chair in the center of the room, facing north. This is important. Place the other two chairs exactly to the left and right, facing your throne. The distance between your throne and that of your queen and fool should be about the length of your arm to each side, more or less. Place the two large mirrors on the queen and fool chairs, left and right of you, facing you and each other. The distance between your throne, the queen and the fool, should be about the length of your arm to each side, more or less. Place the two large mirrors on the queen and fool chairs left and right of you, facing you and each other. Try your best 
to have them stand at a 90 degree angle or else you may get more or less than three kings. If you sit on your throne facing straight ahead, north, you should be able to perceive your own reflection in each of the two mirrors without actually having to turn your head nor your eyes to do so. If you can see your own reflection in the corner of your eye, just barely there, then you've done it right. Place the bucket of water and the mug in front of you, just barely out of reach. Now place the fan behind you and turn it on. Don't set it to maximum power, medium or low is usually enough. Now leave it on. Turn off the lights, leave the door open and go to your bedroom. Set the candles by the side of the bed, next to a lighter, and your alarm clock and your cell phone, leaving the cell phone charging. Set your alarm clock for 3.30am, turn off the lights, and go to sleep, holding your power object, that small toy or the object that you hold dear from your childhood. Showtime. Wake up at 3.30am with your alarm clock, turn it off but don't turn on the light. You have exactly three minutes to light your candle, grab your cell phone, and make your way to the dark room to sit in your throne. You should be seated by 3.30am. Don't forget your power object. Check for potential red flags. If your cell phone didn't charge for whatever reason, abort the mission. If the alarm didn't go off exactly at 3.30am, abort the mission. If you find the dark room closed, remember, you left it open. Abort the mission. If the fan is turned off, you left it on. Abort the mission. Side note. If you have to abort the mission due to any of the above, leave the house with your loved one. Go to a hotel or something. There's no need to run. You have time to grab a jacket and your keys and whatnot, but leave. After 6am, the coast should be clear. If all is going as planned, you can proceed and take your throne. Do not look directly at either of the two mirrors beside you. Do not let the candle go out. The fan is behind you. You must protect the candle with your body, which is standing in between. There's a reason for this, and you'll soon see. Look straight ahead at the darkness. Not at the candle, not at the mirrors, just straight ahead. Eagle-eyed readers surely noticed I didn't say during setup which chairs was queen and which chair was full. That's because it's your job to find out. And from their point of view... You are either their queen, or their fool, too. Hence, three kings. I won't spoil what happens next. Suffice to say, you won't be alone. And if you have any questions, you'll get answers. Sometimes in the form of new questions, but hey, that's the story of humanity, eh? Just stay put and try not to move. Again, do not look directly at the mirrors, nor the candle. Just straight ahead. Trust me. Don't chicken out either. You need to wait until 4.34. By 4.34, it's all over. It's okay to tremble a little bit. Just try not to. But this doesn't affect the ritual. Did I mention not to let the candle go out? That's what the fan is for. You're protecting the candle with your body, but if your body were to suddenly move, then the fan would turn off the candle. That's backup number one. Your loved one is backup number two. At 434, 
they have to come into the room and call your name. If that doesn't work, they'll call your cell phone. If that doesn't work, they have a glass of water and the bucket. They can't touch you though. That would be a newbie mistake. Backup number three is your power item. The toy, or locket, or whatever object of strength you brought along for the ride. It'll show you the way out if shit hits the fan. Multiple backups. You gotta be like a boy scout if you do these things. If you half-ass it, well, half-ass the ritual all the way, and it won't work. Worst you can do is take it seriously enough for it to work and not seriously enough to be prepared for the consequences. And wait for the three kings. Now let's explore some three kings ritual experiences. Here's the first account. Okay, this is going to sound sort of weird. From what I've heard, this is supposed to be a psychological experiment. My experience wasn't the same. So at 11pm, my wife and I started setting up. I had previously blocked the windows with black felt my wife had laying around. She used to be a daycare director. So we set up the chairs, mine facing north, the other two facing towards mine, within arm's reach of mine, almost where my fingers would be just out of reach of the mirrors. I put down the bucket filled about three quarters of the way full, so that my wife would be able to lift it high enough to dump it on my head. The mug was set next to the bucket. Both were right about where I would lift my feet and touch the bucket with my toes. The fan was behind me about four or five feet on medium. We left the lights off and the door open. When fully open, our basement door just barely opens after pushing past the kitchen cabinets. The initial push to close the door takes a little effort to get the door swinging its hinges closed, but after that it's pretty easy in clearing the cabinets. The basement was incredibly dark when looking down the steps. <laughs> My wife laughed and said, Better you than me. We went upstairs to sleep until our time. I placed my phone on my wife's side of the bed, as I'm an extremely heavy sleeper, and set the phone alarm for 3.30am. And my power token was a wrestling medal I received for taking second in my high school's region at 250 pounds weight class my junior year. My father was ecstatic when I won it, and he passed a year ago so I felt close to him whilst I had it. I was going to be using a tall round white candle about 5 inches around and about 6 inches tall. It was also on my side with the metal. I fell asleep rather quickly and before I knew it, my wife was elbowing me to wake up. The time was exactly 3.30. I knew we had to move quickly, so I placed the metal around my neck, grabbed the candle, checked my phone for a complete charge, and headed to the main floor. We made our way through the living room the dining room and into the kitchen. Once in the kitchen, I could see that the door was closed and light could be seen coming through the gap between the door and floor. As I walked to the door, I told my wife that it was important to leave the door open and light off. She swears she didn't do it. I believe her. We went to bed together. The door was cold. Not ambient room temperature, I mean cold. When I touched it, it hurt. Almost like it bit me. It was that cold. 
My wife was starting to freak out a bit. I hesitated a second before following her. It felt like at any minute, someone or something was going to come through it. I did not wait long though. My wife was worried and that we shouldn't go to my mother-in-law's house, just in case, she said. We ended up at the Motel 8, about 5 or 6 exits away from home. Not the best place, but it was cheap. Here's where it gets weird. I have that feeling of being watched since we left the house. Even now, as my wife is sleeping. As I sit here writing this, at the table in the room on my phone. The feeling had not left me. My question is this. If this is a psychological experiment, is it possible that something could have followed us to the hotel. I could use some answers to reassure myself. Now this Reddit account is deleted, so I have no idea or any way to follow up from this. And I gotta say, reading this gave me the chills. All kinds of things can follow you home. Spirits, demons, you just never know, and tampering with rituals like this can, of course, leave you open to something latching onto you. There's a word of caution in this story. Yikes. On to our next account. Now this account posted by DP4man six years ago is the one that I first read. In fact, it's the first ritual story that got me hooked. And it's crazy to look back and think that this was done Six years ago, time really does fly. It's titled One King, A Knight, and the Beast, and it's something that I reaccount to my friends when they ask me to share a scary and unique story. So I hope you enjoy this particular one. Hey everyone, so last night around 6.30, I went out and bought a fan, because we didn't have one. It took a while, because apparently most stores don't sell fans in the middle of winter. Who knew? <laughs> anyway, we did eventually find one. We also bought a nice thick candle, so that I wouldn't burn my hand from dripping wax. I should probably clarify who we is. My girlfriend stayed over to help perform this ritual, as well as one of my best friends. They helped out a lot, and really came through when I needed them. So my girlfriend and I got back to my house around 9. We were at a mall. She wanted to do a little bit of shopping while we were there. We decided that having another friend over would be a good idea. So I convinced my best bud to come help us out. It didn't take much convincing because I had told him of my predicament earlier in the week. And told him I would likely be performing the Three Kings ritual. He said he would be over as soon as he could. So while we were waiting for my buddy to show up, we started getting set up. It took a while to cover all of the windows in the basement and get the mirrors and chairs set up, but we finished it around 11.30. We taped garbage bags over the windows so no light would get in, which took really long. Anyway, we set everything up, turned the fan on, and were about to go upstairs. I got a really strange feeling about this time, so I quickly set up a salt circle around my throne. I was sure to leave it open so that I could step in later and quickly close it up. We then went upstairs, left the door open, and waited. My friend showed up around 12, and we all made sure we were on the same page. We made plans so that if she hit the fan, 
we wouldn't be scrambling to get out. I then told my friend he could either sleep in my brother's room, which is upstairs next to mine, or he could crash on the main floor somewhere. He decided he would sleep on my couch in the front room of the house, which is fairly far away from the basement entrance. We finalized everything, turned off all the lights, and tried to go to bed. Sleeping didn't go as planned. My heart was racing, and it took all my meditative skills to calm myself down. Unfortunately, I am pretty new to meditation, so it didn't work as well as I would have liked. My friend, too, was having issues. He texted me saying he was hearing noises and that he was getting a little nervous. I attributed this to us mostly hanging around his house, so he was likely not familiar with the sounds of my house and the sounds made at night. I must have been wrong, because he texted me that he was going out to his car for a bit to compose himself, because he thought he was hearing whispers coming from the basement. One thing you should know about my friend is that he is a brave guy. He is not the kind of person to peace out when situations look grim. However, he later told me that this sense of fear developing in him was something new that he had never felt before. He described it as a strange and alien feeling. So he went out to his car, read for a bit, and then came back in right at 3.30 as I was going downstairs. The alarm went off at 3.30 exactly. I must have fallen asleep at some point because I woke up, hopped out of bed, and quickly got ready. I wore the rosary my girlfriend gave me as an added protection, hoping it would help out. I grabbed my power object, my Game Boy Color, my most favorite thing as a kid, lit the candle, made sure I had my fully charged phone, and headed downstairs. At the top of the basement steps, my loved ones wished me luck, and told me they would be here for me. The door was still open, and I could hear the fan running, so I went down. Those of you who haven't done this, something that is really important to remember is that three minutes isn't a lot of time to get your shit together. As I was going downstairs, still half asleep, I remember thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? Am I ready for this? Well, I can tell you, I probably wasn't. But I needed to get this whole conundrum sorted out, so I went on down. I sat down, made sure I had everything I needed, and checked my phone. It read 3.32. I then remembered to close the salt circle, chastising myself for almost forgetting something so simple. One thing I can tell you is that you quickly lose track of time down there. At first it seemed like nothing was happening, and I was alone in my big dark basement. I was nervous, but other than that, surprisingly okay. Pretty quickly I started to get disappointed because I figured nothing was going to happen and that I was about to lose a night's sleep for nothing. Boy, was I ever wrong. Suddenly the candle I had started flickering. I'm not talking about a little bit either. I was legitimately getting scared, and worried that it was going to go out. It looked like it was dancing around, and was casting strange shadows all around me. It was at this point I could feel the atmosphere changing. I was still in my basement, but it was completely different. My eyelids started getting heavy, and I was having a tough time staying grounded in reality. In my peripheral vision, 
I was starting to see what looked like movement from both mirrors, and the light from the candle was dancing in my eyes. At this point, I was excited and terrified. I could barely muster the courage to speak up, but eventually I did. Am I still alone? I asked. My voice sounded far off and didn't sound nearly as confident as I imagined it would. I sounded very timid, but at least it wasn't a whimper. Immediately after speaking, I felt two distinct mental presences crash into me. From the left side, I felt an overwhelming sense of anger, depression, hate, and what generally felt like evil incarnate. From the right came the feelings of happiness, joy, and kindness, and was the complete opposite of the opposing force. It felt like I was no longer one person, but was instead three entities fighting it out inside my body. I remember feeling squished inside my own body, and I was starting to shake. It was like nothing I'd ever felt before. I, at one point, was sure I was going to be pushed out of my own body, and could feel what could only be described as ego death. I was no longer seeing with my own eyes at this point, and I was now having a vision. Perhaps this was a dream of some point. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but one thing I knew for sure was that I was no longer consciously aware of my surroundings. In my vision, I saw two people standing apart, facing one another. One was the dark creature from my old dreams, except that now it was wielding a two-handed sword. The weapon had an aura of darkness and was curved back and forth. It looked like the kind of weapon that would tear a person to shreds painfully. The man standing opposite of this beast looked like a knight. He was decked out in a suit of white armor and a golden sigil that looked like the cross embossed on the top of the Buddhist wheel. His weapon was a straight white sword and glowed faintly. They were standing about ten feet away from each other, in a field surrounded by a blood-red sky. Then, they started talking, but not to each other. They were each asking for my support in the battle. The beast told me he would crush my enemies beneath my feet, and that I would never again be alone in the darkness. I would never again know pain, because no one would ever be able to hurt me again. He promised power and prestige in exchange for my aid. The knight told me he would watch over me and protect me from evil. He said that pain was a part of living, and that as long as I could learn to forgive, that pain would not matter, nor would I have enemies. He claimed he could help me solve my own problems, would teach me how to live truly and would bring me to enlightenment. I was completely overwhelmed at this point. The two beings started fighting, and I didn't know what to do. Every time their swords clashed, it felt like the sound was resonating inside of me. I am not going to lie. At this point, I was terrified. I didn't know what to do, and I definitely wasn't ready for this. Not too long into the fight, it seemed like the beast was getting the upper hand. As my terror grew, he started to move faster and struck harder. The knight was starting to lose ground and was stumbling backwards, protecting himself. The knight was pleading with me to aid him or he would fail. Before I could respond, 
the beast knocked him to the ground and disarmed him. As the beast reared back to end the man, I decided quickly that I couldn't let this thing win. I don't know how to describe it. I felt like my emotions just poured out to this man in support. As the dark sword was arching down, a shield appeared on the knight's outstretched arm and deflected the blow easily. The knight was quickly up and bashed the beast back with his new shield. The creature seemed to fall back easily, cursing both the knight and I. The knight's sword seemed to quickly fly back into his hand, just as he was advancing to slay the beast. He swung down hard and smashed the beast's sword to pieces. The creature fell to the ground, wounded. The knight stepped over the creature and put the sword to its neck. You are defeated. Crawl back to the darkness you came from and never rear your hideous face again or we shall obliterate you. At this point, the creature let out a hissing sound and was swallowed up by the ground. Suddenly, I was back in my body along with this sense of pure joy and happiness. I somehow knew my dreams would no longer be filled with despair and darkness. The man's voice came from the mirror on my right and congratulated me for making the right choice. At this point in time, I looked to my right, at least I think I did, and into the mirror. He stood there, leaning on his sheathed sword. I asked him who he was. He chuckled a little bit and replied, <laughs> you still haven't figured it out. I am you. And with that, he took off his helmet and revealed himself to be what looked like a more elegant version of me. The way the mirrors were set up, I could see the reflection of the beast from the other mirror, crawling away. It turned back for a second, and I could see what looked like a twisted, decaying form of me. Before I could ask any questions, and believe me, I had plenty to ask. I felt a strange sensation cascading over my head. <sighs> At first I was confused, but then felt the cold. Time was up. My friend and my girlfriend stood there, dumping water over my head. Apparently they called down, and I did not reply. They said they could hear my phone ringing, but I did not answer. I guess when they came down they said it looked like I was in a trance and was unresponsive. My friend said it looked like my eyes were half open and were moving about rapidly, and in no particular direction, just spinning all around. We went upstairs, left all the lights on, and took the whole thing out. I can see if maybe I can get my friend to write his own account of what happened, if there is anyone interested in hearing it. It would probably be useful to hear another account of it in case I miss any details. Anyway. I would most certainly say this ritual was well worth the effort, and I'm glad I worked up the courage to try it. It was nothing like I've ever done before, and was an awesome experience. If you guys were to ask me if it was spiritual or purely psychological, I honestly couldn't tell you. There are arguments for both sides, but I couldn't decide on one over the other, instead of just going off what happened to me. Why don't some of you try it out for yourself? I can't say it will be similar to mine, and I don't recommend it to anyone who might have a psychological break, but all I can say is that for me, it was well worth the stress. Anyway, thanks for putting in the time to read this all and for wishing me luck guys. Good luck to anyone who gives this a whirl.
this has to be one of my top favourite ritual stories. Not for the creep factor, but for the narrative it brings. Let's take a look at our last real account. Finally Settled by Anonymous underscore King Regardless of what you believe, there is always something about the warning you get about that friend no one seems to trust. After going through Three Kings and my friend's odd attempt at it, we mostly stayed away from him. Brittany was very wary of him, and his actions and his own family told us that lately he had been very off. Everyone figured he was going through yet another downhill moment and let it go its course. But in between college registration and financial aid paperwork, there were small signs of him buzzing around. Text messages ranging between HEY and cruel messages as well as paranoid voicemails greeting me in the morning when I turned my phone on. Brittany was fed up with it and called his parents up again to tell them to handle the situation before it ended with someone hurt. After all, he lived with his brother and sister. Now, the lease was nearly up on our place, and instead of actually renewing it, I thought of moving. To be blunt, the place was just full of bad memories. Even though it was a one-floor place with a basement, I considered it an apartment being only one floor. I went out to look for new places in between my errands while Brittany did her own job of dog-sitting and such. I got an odd voicemail from my friend yet again, and listening to it sounded like I was listening to a recording being filtered through many other recording devices. I sighed. The static was going on far too long, and I deleted the message. Once I got home, I saw Brittany on our front steps crying. I thought someone was harmed or hurt in her family, and rushed over to her. All she could manage to say was, He's insane. Once I managed to calm her down, she refused to go inside, and had me take her to a different place for the night. I obliged, and she said that my friend had burst in and screamed at her. He was waving candles and swearing up and down that he knew where I was hiding something. Allowing someone as screwed up as him to do a ritual that based itself mostly on your mental state was the worst move ever. He was over the edge and hysterical. His sister and brother moved out of the place back to their parents and the doctors he saw weekly hadn't heard a thing from him in weeks. I was frustrated and called him. When he answered, he sounded like he was fine. I told him to leave us alone and that seemed to trigger him. He asked where I put it. I don't have telepathy so there was no way for me to tell him where it was, or even know what the hell he meant. I hung up and Brittany's father filed a police report. Our place needed a new door as well as a better lock. The landlord came by and after seeing how uneasy Brittany was about staying in the place, he told us we could terminate the lease early. We moved out the following day with the help of her father and a few other friends. Her father's truck was able to hold the bulk of our items. We hadn't found a place yet leaving me to really wonder what we were going to do. I called the landlord to ask if he knew of any places that were open, and he gave us a listing. He then told me he was filling out his own police report against my friend. After we had moved out fully, he had gone inside and ransacked the entire place and left without a word. 
The landlord said that the basement got a good beating to it, and one of the walls was caved in like someone kicked it in. We found a decent place, and with help from my grandmother, we were able to move in. We cut him out of our lives, and this family occasionally will call me. He was put into a ward for adults finally, and the requirements to see him are fairly normal. However, he refuses to allow any sort of reflective surface to be near him, and was put in there after trying to eat a piece of mirror. Goodness. That is truly harrowing. I can't imagine what their friends saw, or what they believed they saw. Either way, it was enough for him to lose his mind. One terrifying story. Before I sign off on today's episode, I want to talk about mirror gazing. Now the ritual states that if you have any kind of mental illness, that this might not be the ritual for you. And with that, I thought there might be something more to mirrors than meets the eye. So I did some research and found out about a experiment conducted by Giovanni Caputo, where he conducted an experiment with patients with schizophrenia, depression, and patients without mental illness. The study itself looks at mirror gazing and visual interpretation of ourselves and faces in mirrors, which shares the connection with the Three Kings ritual. Mirrors and a low light environment. Let's have a look at the abstract of the experiment itself, because I found this fascinating to draw a distinction between psychological and paranormal. The abstract is as follows. Observers see distortions of their own faces, but they often see hallucinations like monsters, archetypal faces, faces of relatives and deceased, and animals. In this research, patients with depression were compared to healthy controls with respect to strange face apparition. What that refers to is the visual anomalies people see when looking at their face in the mirror. The experiment was a 7-minute mirror gazing test MGT, under low light illumination. When the MGT ended, the experimenter assessed patients and controls with a specifically designed questionnaire and interviewed them, asking them to describe strange face apparitions. Apparitions of strange faces in the mirror were very reduced in depression patients compared to healthy controls. Depression patients compared to healthy controls showed shorter durations of those strange face apparitions. Minor number of strange faces, lower self-evaluation ratings of apparition strength, and lower self-evaluation rating of provoked emotion. These decreases in depression may be produced by deficits of facial expression and facial recognition of emotions, which are involved in the relationship between the patient, or the patient's ego, and their face image, or the patient's body itself, that is reflected in the mirror. So I dug deeper. During that study, 50 healthy patients began to perceive strange faces after one minute of mirror gazing, just one minute, with 66% seeing huge deformations of their own face, and 48% of that same cohort seeing monstrous faces. During a similar experiment, Caputo also noted those with schizophrenia experienced stronger, more vivid, and monstrous faces than that of the previous test group. Caputo explains that, Human faces convey important messages, such as identity, age, sex, eye gaze, and emotional expression, which are relevant to social communication and interpersonal interaction. 
In face-to-face -face interactions between the subject and the other, facial expressions by the other and facial recognition of the other's expressions by the subject are reciprocally intertwined through mimicry and subject-other synchronization, which basically translates to, I imitate and reflect the physical and emotional interactions with those that I communicate with. Going on from this, there is a level of interaction loop that can lead to these visions. So why do I bring this up and research this? Well, the mirror-gazing process is a low-light, illuminated environment, exactly what the Three King ritual requires us to do. And in this case, faced with multiple mirrors, multiple interactions, multiple feedback loops could lead to a very intense psychological experience and possibly some seriously intense hallucinations. Not to mention, should one have a level of mental illness, schizophrenia perhaps, the psychological experience could be disastrous for the psyche of that person, leading to some level of psychosis as we saw on the last account. What I found interesting was, those with depression were more resilient, stronger than the healthy patients, able to, from what I can tell, ignore those monstrous and deformed faces. Which, to me, was fascinating. Lastly, I'm going to read out the instructions given to the participants of the experiment, so you can see how it was run and perhaps draw distinctions between the process for the Three Kings and this experiment. To me, as I read this, it kind of sounds like a real-life SCP. Either way, here's what was done. With the subject seated in front of the mirror, the experimenter explained the task. Your task is to look at your face in the mirror. You should keep staring into your eyes. The task will last seven minutes. During the MGT, mirror-gazing test, perceptions were qualitatively and quantitatively assessed. The number and latency of abnormal perceptions were evaluated by recording event-related responses to apparitional experiences. Every time subjects had an abnormal perception, they had to press a button, and their responses were recorded and digitally stored. The experimenter told the participants how to use the button. During the seven minutes while you are looking at your face in the mirror and staring at your eyes, you may or may not notice changes in your face. If you notice a change, then press the button, and hold it down for as long as the change lasts. If you do not notice any changes, then do not press the button. Subjects were then asked if they understood the task, and, after the experimenter had further clarified and explained unclear points, the task began. The mirror-gazing session lasted seven minutes. 100% of the patients experienced some form of strange face apparitions. So, if you're keen to try it out yourself, all you have to do is withstand seven minutes in front of the mirror at a low light. There's something mysteriously creepy about the idea of doing that, and I won't be doing that myself in any hurry. <laughs> and on that note, have a creepy night, or a glory-filled day, folks. And as always, till next we meet.